Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to The Parenthood, the podcast that discusses all things parenting. Uh, I'm Marina Fogel. And I'm Dr. Kiara Hunt. And we are here today to discuss crying. It's something that will basically take over your life. You might have hated the sound of babies crying before you gave birth, but I promise you the sound of your baby crying is like someone is sort of wrenching your heart. It's so much more emotional than hearing the kind of annoyance of hearing a baby crying. But the bad news is babies cry a lot. It's kind of the only thing they can do apart from poo and wee. And, um, <laughs> well, it's definitely also, you know, your babies have no other way of communicating with you. So a cry does not always mean that your baby is upset or uncomfortable. They are talking to you. They're telling you that they might be hungry. They might be tired. They might be a bit uncomfortable. And the trick is working out what their cries mean, because it is difficult. If babies were born able to talk to you, life as a parent would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if there was an app to translate your baby's cries? <laughs> <gasps> Maybe that's how, well, our next big thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there is. <laughs> I must say, I think it's really difficult because often the grown-ups only cry when they're really, really sad. And so we sort of almost interpret our babies crying as that sort of acute sadness. But I think, like you said, it's really important to understand that it is um, most of the time just a sort of reflex and something they are programmed and conditioned to do. And obviously some babies cry more than others. Yes, and it does make a big difference difference what kind of baby you have I mean certainly when I look at my two my first baby didn't cry at all really and then my second baby cried a lot and the experience uh, of early motherhood with both of them was completely different and so, it's flipped around now actually yeah. your older one is possibly a little bit more emotional and tearful yeah, and absolutely. the younger one is sort of stoic and yeah. refuses to cry when she's stung by nettles yeah exactly. um, so we're going to talk today a little bit about the different cries uh, about what's normal and not normal and how you can interpret those cries and so that you can sort of react in in the, the way that's best for your baby. Yeah, um, and I think for first-time mothers, it's quite nice to have a bit of a checklist to see, um, you know, sort of tick off, have I excluded this, that, and the other? So um, we talk in the bump class, don't we, about the simple things that can cause your babies to cry that are easily rectified so probably the most obvious one is hunger isn't it mm. you know babies um will cry if they're hungry and they're hungry quite a lot because they need to be fed quite a lot and their um, stomachs are tiny so exactly. that's why they need to be and they've been fed kind of continuously through the umbilical cord so mm. actually then taking food in sort of you know whatever it is eight times a day is a massive jump yeah exactly and you know your baby if they're having good feeds and they're healthy good weight um you know newborn should be feeding every three to four hours and taking good feed so if your baby is crying you know every hour it's probably not either either they're not being fed enough or it's not hunger um but you know if if you think that your baby might be hungry even though they've 
fed two, two hours ago, they may be going through a growth spurt. It's always worth seeing if they need a little bit more food, especially at the end of the day, isn't it? I, I used to find that, you know, a lot of mothers do, um, uh, their milk supply will decrease a bit at the end of the day. And even though you think you've given them a good feed, um, they need a bit more um or a bit of a top-up. And that's actually one of the design flaws of breastfeeding, isn't it? Yeah. You just don't actually know how much, exactly how much your baby has, has drunk. Yes, I mean, you be... get a vague idea because if you've got a lot of milk, you do feel that sort of letdown. And but... I have some mothers who, who cannot cope with not knowing and so they will express every feed uh, so that they know how much their baby's getting. You know, Because unfortunately, our breasts don't come with a gauge telling us <laughs> how, much, how many ounces or how many mils our babies have drunk. And it, that uncertainty is quite difficult for some mothers to deal with. Maybe that's another app waiting to be invented. <laughs> I also think it's not even just about the quantity, it's about the richness of the milk. Because I remember when I would express, you know, there were, at different times of the day, my milk would be much sort of more creamy mm. um, than at, at other times of the day. So it might be that, especially if you're tired or you haven't had a good night's sleep or maybe you didn't eat as much the previous day, that might have impacted your milk. So it's always worth just topping up, either with yeah. express breast milk or if you, you know, want to use formula, that's absolutely fine. And it's not going to negate the benefit of the breast milk you've just given your baby. Yeah. It's just a way of, of you know, responding to what they need yeah. and, and having said that I wouldn't feed them initially in, uh, straight away as soon as they cry you want to rule out other causes of crying and, and, uh, and then only feed them if you really think it is hunger because a lot of parents make the mistake of, of, of feeding the baby every time they cry and that will soothe the baby usually because you know sucking is soporific and will, will be quite reassuring for the baby but it's not always uh, it's not always what they actually need and then you might get into a cycle of the baby just snacking every hour or so which is not, which is not beneficial for the baby or, or for the mother so uh, definitely keep hunger at the back of your mind when you know uh, if your baby is crying uh, and, and and offer them food if you really think it is hunger but what else what else could it be that's um that's causing that's causing them to be a bit um, a bit whingy or, or crying but often it's a burp isn't it yeah. especially if you've just had a feed and, and again you know you don't you never know you maybe might have done a lovely juicy burp but they might still need another one yeah. so even if they've had a burp but they still they won't you know have the rest of their feed or settle it might be worth just jiggling them around and yeah. some burps are easy to get up and some burps are a nightmare to get up and similarly some babies find it easy to burp and some babies you're at it for an hour trying to get their burps yeah, and up. trying lots of different positions don't always try and burp in the same position you know um, speak to your friends with babies or just have a look on the internet and find different ways of burping your baby because actually sometimes just changing the baby's position will get that little burp up. Yeah, I always used to find actually doing a nappy change, you know, lying my babies down would often sort of reposition that burp and then after they changed it the nappy, I'd, I'd, you know, pick them up and they'd sort of burp really nicely yeah. and that can be really uncomfortable for the baby if you've got a sort of burp that's not coming up that is uncomfortable and of course they're going to cry yeah yeah exactly and often feeding them is, is, is not going to make any difference because they um, that's just uncomfortable for them so um Babies also cry when they're tired, don't they mm. and uh, it's a different type of cry um when they're tired but um if, if you miss their cues for, for, for needing to sleep and they get overtired, then that cry can get quite agitated um, and they yeah, can get they, even more upset. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, again, you know, if you sort of think, oh, my baby, it's not, my baby's not due asleep, they can't be tired. Again, that can be um, a bit of a misconception because we all have days where we're just inexplicably more tired than other days and our babies are the same. So some days they will have a great, have a great morning nap and then it's sort of half an hour before their lunchtime nap, but they're exhausted and I think you just respond to that if you're sort of feeling that it could be tiredness and it's mm. accompanied by sort of rubbing of the eyes and turning the head away then maybe actually they are tired and you just put them down a little bit earlier than, than usual absolutely and, and watching out for those little clue, cues that babies give us um, can really help so as you mentioned that 
they rub their eyes or they rub their ears or they turn their head away from from the bottle or from from the sort of your your eye contact um it is it, it, you know it really is that's your baby telling you i'm tired um uh, so really pick up on those clues if you can and uh, and uh, and put your baby down and i think you know especially for people who are following a bit of a routine you need to give it some sort of flexibility because you know babies aren't robots they aren't machines and especially if they've had like their jabs they're often much much more tired after they've had their their injections aren't they because their body is sort of fighting to process all of those mm. so it's really understandable that your baby might well be a bit more tired but i think just respond to the baby rather than to sort of says well the book tells me to do it this way i, I, I can't yeah. deviate yeah. um you need that flexibility definitely and um and you know, there's a saying, isn't there, that sleep sleep breeds sleep in, in young babies. And, and I definitely see that as a pattern with a lot of my patients, that uh, if they've slept well and had really good, long, restorative sleeps in the day, they usually sleep well at night. Whereas if they've been a bit cranky and fractious in the day and had little catnaps, they often don't sleep quite as well. Yeah, frustrating. Just when you really need it, they yeah. don't sleep well. Yeah, certainly sort of trying to keep a baby awake, thinking they'll be more tired at night, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, cold can be a factor too, can't it? Because babies will often... Being too cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they will often cry when they're a bit too cold. And we always say on the bump class, you know, better too cold than too hot because your baby will wake up and cry if they're too cold. Um, but if they're too hot, they don't necessarily wake up. Yeah, they can you, overheat so. and that can be dangerous, absolutely. Mm. So... Um, I think it's often a misconception feeling babies' hands and feet because all babies have quite cold hands and feet. So if you think your oh, baby's cold, don't feel their hands and feet. Feel the back of their neck, and which should always be nice and warm. And if that's feeling a little bit on the cold side, then your baby probably does need an extra layer or two. Um, but, um, but as I say, hands and feet are always cold, so don't go by that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then... And a dirty nappy, actually. Some some babies just really hate dirty nappies, don't they? I found it's generally girls, isn't it? They're much less tolerant. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I definitely, I definitely noticed that. But girls are less tolerant of a dirty nappy than boys. But that's not always the case. Um, some some uh, some babies will cry if their nappy's just wet, uh, and others are very happy to to sit in a dirty nappy all day. Um, obviously, you don't want them to do that because they'll get you know they get a sore bottom and nappy rash. So um, if your baby's crying, just always check the nappy um, and uh, and see if if that needs changing and often that's all it is so what if you've done all these things and then you sort of said well see if they're hungry they're not hungry and they just keep on crying persistently one of the most sort of common um i guess you know rhythms of a baby is that a lot of babies develop this thing called evening fretting which is when they just they get a bit cranky in the evening and it usually coincides with the time that maybe the father's come back from work but more importantly concerns with the time when the mother is just ready to put the baby down to sleep and have a little bit of a break because the the day has just been so full on she hasn't stopped to even drink a cup of tea um let alone do all the things she needs to do and this can be sort of really infuriating but it's it's more common than you think isn't it it is and and you can also often be lulled into a bit of a false sense of security in the first few weeks where the baby basically just sleeps and feeds and sleeps and feeds and you think oh this is actually quite easy what's everyone talking um, about what's everyone talking about as parenthood and then they like wake up a bit more and become a little bit more demanding of your time and and very often that is in the evening they're perfectly happy sleeping in the day and even having starting to have happy awake time on on their mat on the floor uh, and then and then they'll start becoming fretful and crying at uh, in the evening and it can last for a few hours and it's not that the baby is screaming in discomfort they're usually quite happy when you hold them but don't want to be put down so this is with a this is a scenario where you have parents sort of pushing the pram around the block or sitting you know rocking the baby or holding the baby you know during supper time um or even sort of 
getting in the car and and uh, driving the baby round and round in the car seat, which just seems to be the only thing. To I calm mean, you get to the stage where you're like, I'll just try anything. I yeah. will try squatting, yeah. lunging, <laughs> jiggling, doing a baby dance, whatever it is, to get this this yeah. baby off to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's sort of almost like you just need to sort of embrace it in a way, don't you? And just sort of think, well, it's not that I'm doing anything wrong. This is just what babies do. And because yeah, I'd say the majority of babies experience some form of evening fretting at some stage in the first sort of three months. And sometimes it can just go on for a week or so. And then for others, it will, you know, it will go on for yeah, two or three months. Um, and they all grow out of it. Um, but, but you have to, I think average, average they'll grow out of it at about, at about 10 weeks. And um, possibly I'd say that if your baby is experiencing this evening fretting, especially if they're breastfed, um, it might be worth just seeing if they want to top up because it is, as we said earlier, it is quite common for breast milk just to maybe drop in supply or richness um, for the evening feed. And sometimes you just need like a couple of you know, 10 mils or something as a top up and and that's what sort of gets them off to sleep, but not always. Yeah, exactly. So the things you can definitely try if your, baby's, if your baby is crying in the evening is, is the extra feed, as you say, movement as we discussed uh, you know car seat or or, or, or jiggling or rocking um, swaddling can also be um, be quite comforting for babies not all babies love being swaddled but some do we've got to make sure oh, you most do don't they m- sorry, yeah most do uh, but you want to make sure that the swaddling technique is, is the right technique that doesn't bind their legs down that just keeps their arms by their side um, and a lot of babies are quite comforted by that so um, so so I'd try that if your baby's a bit cranky in the evening and at the beginning, you know, when your baby's initially born, they're not really affected, their sleep isn't really affected by noise and light. But actually, as they sort of wake up a little bit, they are a bit more affected. And that might be the time to, you know, if they've been sort of sleeping in their Moses basket while you've been clattering around in the kitchen, it might be worth just maybe moving them just outside the kitchen into the corridor where it's maybe a little bit dark, but you can still hear them. Uh, that might sort of help them get off to sleep. Or maybe that's the time that, you know, they, they sleep in their little room away from the noise. As long as you can hear them, that you've got a baby alarm that no, that you know works. Um, you know, it might be the the noise and the light that is sort of precluding them from drifting off to sleep. So. Yeah, and it may also be the stage where you want to start introducing a sort of bit of an evening routine into your baby's life and spend the last hour or so of their day being in a calm environment, doing their bath, doing the feed in a in a quiet dark room, uh, just to get them into that mood of of going to sleep rather than rather than with the TV blaring, as you say, in the kitchen and lots of people around. Yeah, and actually, sort of, they quite like repetition. I remember I was, when my children were sort of going to sleep, I always put the music on the baby monitor on, you know, that sort of tinny lullaby music. Um, and actually, that was really good because they very quickly developed a sort of association that that music meant it's time to go to sleep. And that's a sort of crude way of communicating with your baby when they can't understand language. Um, and so it's doing the same thing every night. It's amazing how how quickly they'll pick up on those cues and sort of accept that actually now it is time for sleep and Absolutely. I mean I, you know it's the same with humans too you know if you they talk about sort of sleep hygiene don't they that if you're not a very good sleeper you should think about your routine go to bed at a similar time every night and try and sort of wind down not have any you know bright lights loud music screens um, have a bath have a sort of bit of a routine that you follow and that should actually improve your sleep quality and and ability to sleep so you know, there's no reason why babies shouldn't be the same. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, babies tend to thrive on that kind of a routine um, and uh, and do really well on it. So, And I think, you know, if you're doing all of these things and it's still not working, just accept that it is a bit of a phase. And I think you just need to persist and persevere. And I speak to so many women who are in the midst of the evening fretting and they're like, she won't go to sleep. I mean, literally every night she won't go to sleep. And then I speak to them a week later and they're like, no, no, she sleeps beautifully. Oh my God, yes, I'd totally forgotten about that evening fretting. And it's when you're in it, it takes over your life, but you realise very quickly it's a phase and your baby's life is full of phases you know, they won't eat or they won't take the lunchtime feed or they won't, you know, and these things seem like interminable when you're in them, but actually they usually are relatively short-lived phases. So just deep breaths and take take umbrage, I guess, in the fact that it's not going to last forever and it will be, you know, as long as you're doing all those right things and, and trying to kind of think about ways that they will sleep better, um, don't worry too much that this is going to be your life for the next two years. It yeah. will pass. Yeah. And as long as your baby is growing and thriving, you know, that's very reassuring in itself. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. But people often ask me, you know, at what point does crying indicate that there is a problem? Um, and, you know, this is, again, something I very often consult about in the surgery and people come saying my baby cries a lot you know have they got colic have they got reflux what is that um, is there something else more sinister yeah wrong? exactly so um i think colic is something that people worry about and think that their child has and often often when they've just got evening evening fretting they, they think it's colic but colic is different in that the baby is obviously very uncomfortable and they have this sort of protracted outbursts of of, of high-pitched screaming um with usually with their knees drawn up to their chest often in the evening actually but the crying lasts for a long time it's inconsolable crying for two to three hours non-stop which you know five minutes of your baby crying can seem like forever two to three hours is a lot so you know if your baby's not that upset and is crying on and off for an hour it's probably not colic we don't really as doctors know what exactly colic is what the pathology behind it is it's probably to do with the gut maturing and you know getting you know maybe a bit of wind in the gut that's uncomfortable but there's lots of treatments that anecdotally work uh, there's a few of the counter medicines you can use yeah um, things like um, infocol and yeah, bright water, water and, and it's worth having leaf. those in your kind of medical kit or whatever yeah. it is just in your bathroom cupboard just because yeah. if you do get to sort of 11 o'clock at night you think maybe it will work you want that now yeah, not exactly you know not tomorrow morning yeah when you get to go to boots yeah there's some theory although it's not evidence-based that maybe what you eat can can make your baby more or less colicky so i think if your baby is crying a lot you can think about what you've been eating tends to be this again this is anecdotal but tends to be things like spicy food garlic beans 
citru- very citrusy fruit. I guess stuff that makes you windy. Uh, yeah, fizzy drinks, exactly. Um, caffeine, so caffeine, can caffeine, be one. yeah, caffeine can. Yeah. Well, again, some people say, and I think if you're going to cut things out of your diet, make sure you're a doing it one at a time for a week at a time, so you can actually see if it's making it a, a real difference or not. And if you're cutting lots of things out, make sure you're actually properly nourished yourself and you're not sort of missing out on any of the food groups. I know, no, sort of cutting out dairy is sort of increasingly popular, but there's not any evidence to show that dairy is a cause of not of for colic. colic. We'll talk about reflux in a bit, and there is a bit of a link between reflux and dairy but again if you're cutting dairy out of your diet you do need to be really thinking about how you're replacing those those nutrients um but yeah other things for for colic a lot of my patients anecdotally say that cranial osteopathy can help um again there's very limited data or evidence behind it but but it's harmless can't and you do get the stage where you do anything yeah totally totally so you know with my doctor's hat on i can't tell you that that will work but um but certainly lots of mothers have told me it's helped their babies yeah, and baby massage, they say, helps as well, you yeah. know, just sort of um, massaging their feet oddly yeah. can sort of help with yeah. their tummy and, yeah. and, and stimulate a poo. And if you and do go to a baby massage class, do you say to the teacher that, that your baby's a bit colicky and they may give you some tips as to how you can soothe your baby's discomfort by massaging their tummy or their feet or their back? Well, the good news, I guess, is that, it, again, it's a phase yes. and it ends usually, what, around sort of 10 to 12 weeks, the colic? Yeah, usually by about three months. It's, 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 it's quite fast. a long time of enduring the colic. I know, if your baby's five weeks old and you're thinking, what, three months? Uh, it seems like forever, but it will pass. And you just have to try these little tips and tools and see if it helps. It's quite common, isn't it, colic? It is quite common. It is. It, a lot of people say that the child has got colic and actually they don't. They're just, they're just a bit fretting uh, in the evening, but... But um, you know, I think I think if you know, if if you're getting that sort of crying for the prolonged period of time, two three hours at a time, nonstop, then you're quite likely that it is colic, especially in the evening. Yeah. So the next one up, I guess, is the next sort of level of crying, which is proper, proper, proper crying, is, is then potentially might suggest reflux. Yeah, so reflux um, is actually a medical condition, so it's slightly different and I think also slightly overdiagnosed at the moment. But if your baby does have reflux, it does need to be treated. So what is it? It's basically where the muscle at the top of your baby's tummy is not as strong as it should be and the milk mixed with the acid of the stomach is coming back up the esophagus and either being vomited out or just going up and down and giving your baby that sort of pain, like heartburn type pain that a lot of women have when they're pregnant. And it can be really uncomfortable and they, it can cause negative associations with feeding. Uh, so your baby really doesn't want to feed because they know that feeding is going to hurt. And sometimes if the milk is coming out and the baby's vomiting a lot, then that can be worrying for <clears throat> doctors because, um, because the baby will lose weight or won't gain weight because they're not keeping any of the milk inside. And they would advise treatment for that because the baby obviously needs to be nourished. When it's not coming out, when the milk's not coming out, that's just going up and down the esophagus. It's, it's called silent reflux. And people often get a bit muddled. They think it's silent because the baby's not crying. But actually, what, what, it, what it is silent because the milk's not coming out. In fact, babies with silent reflux tend to cry even more because it's more uncomfortable because that acidy milk is just staying there, going up and down rather than actually coming out. And um, it burns, doesn't it? And it burns them and it hurts them. And they tend to scream all the time so if they're awake they're screaming they don't tend to sleep very well they're doing that 
back arching and and really sort of clawing and you can see that they're really uncomfortable high-pitched outburst screams most of the time the you know if they're awake they're crying refluxy baby babies with a silent reflux and it can be frustrating for mothers because you might take them to the doctor and say she just cries all the time they say well she's fine because she's gaining weight and she's you know it's just crying it's not it's not having any implication on her growth and development Um, but actually it's so so horrible for mothers to experience that and and it's uncomfortable for your for your child and it's horrible for a mother to see your baby in pain i mean it's just i think it's the worst torture ever yeah yeah it is so i think i think just to be aware that these conditions exist and if you think that your baby may be suffering from either reflux or silent reflux just to go and speak to your doctor about it and make a note beforehand of exactly what the symptoms are write them down explain them really clearly to your doctor Um, because there are treatments available that often are it can range from from as we discussed there's a link to cow's milk protein allergy especially if your baby is quite has quite eczemary skin and uh, various other allergies sometimes just changing the milk if it's if your baby's formula fed or cutting milk out of the diet if you're breastfeeding can completely resolve the symptoms but otherwise you need but to, you need to be doing that under guidance of a doctor just to oh make yeah sure absolutely no yeah you you're... need to have it diagnosed before you do that yeah. um, so don't I, just think my baby's a bit whingy i'm going to cut dairy out of my diet no no or change the formula to goat's milk or something like that that should not be done without without you seeing a doctor and uh and then there are other medications for it ranging from from over the counter medications to prescription medications and um but i think even if you think a baby's got reflux you should be seeing a doctor you shouldn't be sort of self-diagnosing and trying to work it out yourself yeah and the the the, the prescription medications in the sort of worst case scenarios are they quite effective at dealing yes. with the reflux and yeah, improving they it they are they are very effective um, and obviously no one wants to be medicating their children unless they really need to but obviously it's got to a stage whereby you know the baby really needs it yeah and, and well, when you're medication. when you're discussing medication for you or your baby in any circumstance you're weighing up what the benefits of the medication are versus what the risks are of taking it and that balance has to be tipped in the right way um so you know if your baby doesn't cry that much and it is and and the reflux is not causing any medical problems you may not want to go down that route but if your baby's not gaining weight or spending 95 percent of his time screaming with pain it's probably worth it so it's just having that discussion with your with your doctor it was interesting we were talking to a pediatrician um uh, when we actually when we were writing our book and he was saying you know the reflux is is so tough for the mothers because to have your baby crying and it's obvious pain the whole time and the whole time you know motherhood is hard enough if you've got a sort of healthy straightforward baby but you know for for the mothers this is really really difficult almost more so than for the baby because you just don't know what to do you're not getting any sleep no one is offering to help out because your baby is screaming the whole time it's that kind of vicious circle you can't even go out for a coffee because you're you know your baby's just going to cry the whole time so you're not going to enjoy it um, yeah, so, so it, it, is, is, tough. it is tough so if your baby if, or even bad colic you know if your baby is is crying a lot of the time just you know try and get a bit of help try and be able to hand your baby at the weekend to to your partner or your a parent or you know someone just to give you a bit of a break that's what's really needed yeah and I think you know for partners or uh, other sort of carers listening to this you know someone who's got a difficult baby almost needs a bit more support yeah. so even though you probably don't want to sort of offer to have a really difficult baby or, or a refluxy baby for a morning it will mean so much to that mother who can just mm. have a little bit of a break and in terms of sort of her mental well-being that is like one of the most important things yeah. just to have a little bit of a break because it's it's kind of nigh on impossible just to be the sole carer for a yeah. baby that's got reflux well, it just only takes the enjoyment out of it yeah 
Um, so, I mean, that is very much one end of the spectrum and the vast majority of babies are not going to have anything like that um, and they're going to be crying for lots of just the benign reasons that we discussed at the beginning. Um, but I think it's important to have a bit of an overview as to the scale of crying and what is normal and what's not um, and learn that actually soon enough your baby will start to be able to communicate with you um, and uh, and you'll understand those cries a, a, a lot easier and then you'll understand the And you've got a words. lot of support as a new mother from, you know, the, the midwives, the health visitors and also your GP who be much generally they're kind of better at seeing um, mothers with newborn babies um, so you'll get an appointment much more quickly and if you are worried about colic or reflux or feel that you just you know can't understand this crying go and seek advice because they generally can help you and they're really understanding I suppose before we finish one of the things that I found really important when my children were little was um, understanding that actually not immediately responding to every cry is quite a good thing because as we mentioned babies cry for all sorts of different reasons and there's a theory that even you know when you your baby's sort of lying in their Moses basket or their cot and they're going to sleep and they're whinging a bit they're expelling that final bit of energy or that you know they're creating a bit of white noise that will help them go to sleep and so even though they're crying they don't need you to come to them but what can often happen is if you do go to them especially if they're trying to go to sleep is that you know your face almost re-stimulates them um, and prevents them from what they really need to be doing which is going to sleep so I remember just trying to pause a little bit before I went to my baby and that you know in the early days that was okay I'm going to have five deep breaths in and out and so rather than immediately jumping to go to your baby you're pausing a little bit and the idea is that very often they'll cry and then they'll stop crying if you if you don't necessarily go to them and obviously you don't want to you know be leaving them for a significant amount of time but you know as they get a bit older I'd sort of say okay I'm just going to finish emptying the dishwasher and then I'll go and I remember really noticing it then when my daughter was born because there were times when she was crying and I couldn't go to her immediately because I was you know doing something with my my older son you know he was on the loo or something and I was wiping his bottom whatever it was and very often she'd be crying and I think oh, I need to go to her quick 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 let's do this and then by the time I could go to her she'd stop crying so I think that's sort of quite a healthy thing just to try and pause before you immediately race race to your baby um, I mean obviously you, you you begin to understand the sort of I'm in pain screams and you will instinctively rush to them but I don't think you're being a, a bad mother you know if you just try and pause obviously appropriately depending on their age um, immediately to their baby and actually you do speak to most second third time mothers and they say actually that the sort of younger babies tend to cry a little less because you know I don't go to them I don't get to them quite as quickly as I could for my first mm. yeah absolutely no I totally agree with that well, I hope that's been helpful. Crying is such a tough thing to deal with. And actually, one thing I remember was thinking was that I hated listening to babies crying on aeroplanes. It was just so unrelaxing. But before you having, had babies. Before yeah. I had yeah. babies. And then since having my own babies, I used to realise that it's really not that bad to sound because actually if it's not your baby, you don't need to do anything about it. There's something so much worse about when it's your baby because you're feeling the pain of that baby and you sort of feel that it's your responsibility. But try and keep in mind that babies do cry. And if you're in a confined space on an aeroplane or on a tube or something, you know, it is worse for you than anyone else um, who's listening to it. So... Um, uh, uh, try not to let it stress you as much as possible but hopefully that's given you a bit of an insight into the things you can do to resolve it and when to sort of escalate um, help um, when it gets sort of uh, to the point that you do need some sort of medical advice or potentially intervention yeah well, I hope so that's been helpful. Do have a look at our website, thebumpclass.com. And if you've liked this podcast, do share it. And do follow us on social media. We're The Bump Class on Twitter and Instagram. 